They're they're both uh, women, still are, as, as far as I know. <laughs> Today is Tuesday, December 1st, 2020, time for episode 129 of the Barnhart Podcast. It is a subdued, penitential, but joyful penitential time of the year, so no kazoos, no no big party, but Happy New Year, Anne. Why, thank you. Happy liturgical New Year to you, too. Glad to put any aspect of 2020 in the rearview mirror, so <laughs> this is one step in the right direction. Although I suspect that in many ways, 2021 is going to make us say, you know, 2020 wasn't as bad as it could have been. Yeah, yeah. There's a, I, someone sent me, oh, I know who it was. It was actually Father Z sent me a, um, a clip. It, it's, it's kind of cute. And the, the premise was um, a woman talking to herself, sitting across the table from herself, but the the person that she's sitting across from is either, I don't know, four or six months in the future. Um, so, you know, the, the one woman, the one, the woman from like January of 2020 starts out by saying, man, man, what a year, bad year. Hey, Kobe Bryant, you know, da, 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 da. And the reaction of the woman who's like four months in the future is, um, it's, it's poignant, it's clever, it's funny in places. Um, I think it came out right about the time where they, they were trying to talk about the murder hornets. And so murder hornets are a significant punchline. But I think Father Z sent it to me and he said um, that the woman in, in four months in the future, her demeanor and her speech reminds me of you. And I'm like, well, thanks, <laughs> I, th- I think. <laughs> okay, so we'll put that in the show notes. I- I'm sure it's very easy to find, but it was just a funny little thing to watch. But yeah, I think I suspect that, you know, this time, six months, six months from now, um, 12 months from now, not taking our Lord's name in vain, but God only knows, God only knows what... Uh, what the human race in its in its fallen sinful state has has in store for itself. So <laughs> we will find out. Well, certainly a year ago, we never would have imagined that it would be possible that mass would essentially be shut down. The the ability to go to the holy sacrifice, the mass, and that people would not riot as a result. They just like, yeah, whatever. I guess. No, I I'm not. Su- I'm not surprised by that. <laughs> it's the um, it's the complete shutdown of the economy. Um, what is it? What are the, the statistics out of, what was it? New Jersey? Uh, I don't know. Something like half of all small businesses in New Jersey have permanently closed. And yeah, no, nobody's doing anything. Nobody's doing anything. Oh, the, the taking away of the holy sacrifice of the mass. Oh, that's, I'm not, I'm not surprised by that at all. I mean, what percentage of Novus Ordo Catholics even, even go to mass? What percent? I, I, this is a story I tell about RCIA. I mean, nobody ever told any of those people, and I'm sure that they never would, and and still don't. And the RCIA, RCIA program that I went through is one of the better ones. They never ever mentioned anything about missing mass on Sunday being a mortal sin. Nothing, nothing, because they. I'm sure they would have, they would have said, well, they'll all just, they'll all just leave. They'll just get up and leave. 
well, do you, do you really think that's the right course of action? So yeah, most, most Catholics don't go. And actually this is a, this is an argument that's being made right now is that people are complaining about, well, this, this whole thing about Christmas being threatened, they're going to, they're, we're going to have to take away Christmas and they're going to take away Christmas from us. And, you know, fallen away and apostates and atheists are looking at Catholics talking about midnight mass and saying, you know, how, how many of you people go to mass just on, on Sundays? How many of you people go to mass once a month? Um, so yeah, while you're making this argument about how you have to have midnight mass, you never go to mass at any other time of the year. So we're not really hearing you. And you know what that, that is, I mean, obviously it's, it's, it's wrong in and of itself. The holy sacrifice of the mass can never be suppressed by the state. Um, but the argumentation that the enemies of Christ and his church are making are sound arguments, and you can see exactly why they're making them. Of course, nobody nobody goes, nobody goes. I mean, it's just a handful of people that that even go to you know the the old mass um, during the week at all. You know, we, we I posted, and it was it was going around on the internet all this past week. The mass schedule of um, Saint Francis of Assisi Parish in New York City, and how there were. I mean, listed, formally listed, I think there were 16 masses a day starting at 2.30 in the morning, which several people pointed out to me that that was called the printer's mass. And that was the mass for the guys who worked as newspaper in the newspaper printing, um, what would you call that? The printing presses. And they would go to mass at 2.30 a.m. Okay, these are just working people, just working people going to mass, daily mass during the week, Yes, at 2.30 in the morning. Um, and then the earlier ones for were, you know, bakers and um, milkmen and things like that who would go to mass at 3.30, 4, 4.30 in the morning. And it was just, it was just a thing. And now it's, um, no, let's be honest, statistic, statistically speaking, in, in especially the West, Nobody goes to mass anymore. So the fact that it's taken away, I'm not surprised at all. And I'm not surprised that they went for it and not surprised that nobody's nobody's really revolted. In fact, there are there are prominent, extraordinarily sad, tragic examples of even trad Catholics, prominent trad Catholics who have just stopped going. And they make the argument that the the bishop has said we don't have to go. The bishop has said that we're dispensed from the Sunday obligations. So I'm not going. They were never really terribly enthousi enthusiastic about mass in the first place. And I've heard some of these people refer to the masses as uh, long and boring and even, even use the word stupid. I would go if it weren't so long and boring and stupid. Well, what, what do you expect? Of course, they're not going to go. And of course, they're not going to do anything, anything to, to, mount any sort of a resistance to this. And that's probably the thing that's the most terrifying. It's almost the like they don't believe in the faith. Well, almost. It would almost give one pause, wouldn't it? But in regards to all of the other um, um, things that, that the state is doing, um, in terms of just taking away people's entire livelihoods, I saw, I got a 
something came across the transom that now over in Europe, um, the government is offering people loans who have had their, you know, whose businesses are just destroyed. And so the, the government is offering people bridge loans, but the collateral for your bridge loan is that you have to sign over ownership of your business to the state. And I don't know if it's Germany or it's, it's over in Europe. It might be the UK. I'm not sure, but it's just like, what do, what exactly do they have to do? And nobody is lifting a finger. And that is, that's the part about it, that the suicidal, the suicidal mindset that people are sinking into despair. And, I, you know, you can make the argument that they've psychologically been in a, a state of despair all along because they are apostates and because they do not have any supernatural faith or hope. And many of them have no charity either, um, that they've already been in a, in a quasi state of despair that has been um, masked over by the intense amount of distractions, both in terms of material things and distractions. And I'm obviously talking about the internet and, and entertainment and the flicker box and pornography and all of that. And now that some of that stuff is going away, that they're now confronted with their own, their own existential despair and it never even, I don't think it even occurs to a lot of people that they should be fighting. And it certainly doesn't occur to them that it would be worth it to fight and die so that their fellow citizens, their fellow man, and especially their children could be, could have, could be liberated from this. It, it, what they're thinking about is they're thinking about euthanasia. They're thinking about suicide. They're thinking about, you know, pounding back um, a bottle of Valium or a bottle of Tylenol and a bottle of vodka and just being done with it. Um, so they're, they're thinking about committing suicide. I think a lot of these people, it doesn't even occur to them that they should fight and die. And, and we could say exactly the same thing about what's going on with Trump and the election. I mean, everybody knows my position on the, on the, American Republic that it, it, I think history will judge that it ceased to exist in 2008. Um, and that this is just, this is just the death rattle, you know? I think but, a lot of people would argue 2001, especially the, the, the passage of the Patriot Act and the fact that nobody raised a finger uh, at a blatant uh, exchange of, uh, you give us all your liberties and we'll, we'll, we'll take care of your freedom or the way around. Uh, we'll, 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 we'll keep you safe, but you have to give us all your liberties. No, not enough people protested that. So it was like, just green light. It's on from there. Yeah, I mean that's an excellent point, and but everyone was just so so traumatized by by nine eleven. My position was that it the that the republic ceased to exist when Obama usurped, and just nobody nobody said a word about that. I mean, guys, clearly clearly ineligible, um, clearly doesn't have a legitimate birth certificate, et cetera, et cetera, claims openly that his father is a Kenyan national, which 
violates, um, I can't even remember anymore. I haven't even looked up what the arguments are, what article it is. Natural born um, citizen. Natural born citizen, but I can't remember what the article number is. But yes, natural born citizen. You have to be born to two citizen parents, which is what that means. And the Supreme Court case that decided that was called Minor versus Hepperstead. And but he was. His dad was Frank Marshall Davis. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> true, true. That's <laughs> is isn't it a tangled web? Isn't it a tangled web? And then he's adopted by um, the Indonesian. So when an Indonesia when a child is adopted in Indonesia by an Indonesian, that involves renunciation of citizenship. So he was legally he was probably legally and still is an Indonesian national. So I mean, the the whole thing is so completely it's it's been it's been an absolute and I'm super nerds getting on me about language it's been an absolute poop show it's been a poop show since legit since 2008 and you can make you can make a compelling argument as you said for 2001 but i think um it's it's just amazing to see the death rattle that people are just watching this on their flicker screens like it's a movie and I guess they think, I guess people really believe that there's going to be some deus ex machina that's going to just drop out of the sky. Trump and, ex machina. And tr Trump ex machina. And there's going to be a, a borderline miraculous resolution to all this like there is in every movie, like there is in every television show that they've been you know, inculcated into, and they have this mindset. And I think people just don't have any comprehension of this, of how real this is. And we've, I remember us talking about this like three years ago in some of the first episodes of, of the podcast, talking about how the way that entertainment, television, movies, all the rest of it, and now pornography has blurred in the minds of men, of all men, the line between reality and fantasy and they're watching this like it's a movie and they just think it's all gonna it's all gonna resolve and everything's gonna go back to normal and everybody's gonna take their masks off and everybody's gonna go back to work and everything's gonna be fine and kids that's that's just not the case that's yeah there's there's not some orange skinned uh jedi with white lightsabers who's gonna jump in and save the day indeed indeed <laughs> so I don't well, know. So you met, you mentioned um, briefly about uh, Barry being adopted by Lola Sotero. Have I mentioned on the podcast that he, when when uh, Obama took office, he took office as the richest president ever? Obama. Yeah, because he was the stepson of Lola Sotero, and Lola Sotero was one of the twentieth richest people in the world when he died. The trust fund that was left for Barry. Really? Yeah, the trust fund that that was left for Barry made George mm -hmm. W. Bush look like a pauper in comparison. I now, didn't you don't, know You that. don't read that in the media because people don't aren't keen to point it out. The other thing to think about, and, and this was something where, you know, why do they, just who, figure out who, who you want they to stand for in this case, why yeah. do they hate Trump so much? Because it's the first president since 1980 who's not under the, uh, from, from the line basically, or the control of the George H.W. Bush clack. Right. So Reagan was controlled by Bush right there in the White House. Bush had the next term. 
after after Bush, it was Clinton who was his minor league uh, captain out of Mena, Arkansas. Uh-huh. Then it was his son for eight years, and then it was Barack Obama. There are pictures in existence of George H. W. Bush on a golf course with Lola Sotero and his, and and George H. W.'s arm around a nine year old Barry Obama. Well, it wasn't um, Lolo Satoro was CIA, wasn't he? He was specifically a, um, it was because his position with the Indonesian army, he ran the death squads in Southeast Asia. So the, the CIA contracted with him to do wet work all over Southeast Asia and who knows where else. Wow. No wonder, uh, no wonder Barry's mother sent him, sent him to grandma and grandpa, I guess. But she kept the daughter. She kept the daughter with her. And they say that's one of the things that just messed with Obama's mind is that his mother sent him away but kept his sister. Oh, man. And then I, get, I, I also suppose it, you know, probably being raped by Frank Marshall Davis probably didn't help either. But yeah. I, I thought I'd mentioned that before on the podcast. This is another one of the gems that I picked up from uh, the MoFax show, and I'll put a link to that one. It's episode 44, appropriately enough. And if I remember correctly, the title was Big Bank Barry. And uh, yeah, he, he took office as the, as the richest person to become president. Now, whether he was constitutionally qualified or not is a separate question. We are of the opinion that he wasn't, but we'll leave that for another podcast. Mm. Um, I do want to mention, as since we're we're starting with uh, December first, y- yesterday was Cyber Monday, where you're supposed to crash all the web servers. Except that didn't happen because the crashing web servers ha- happened last Wednesday. <laughs> That's a totally different story. Um, now, in, in terms of traditionally for the consumerist American um, holiday season. Last Friday was Black Friday when everyone's supposed to go out and spend tons of money in person places at, 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 at stores, but that didn't happen because of the COVIDs. And because of the COVIDs and the turndown in, in, in um, retail, uh, Black or Cyber Monday has been, in a, has been going for at least a month now because everyone's trying to get something, salvage something from this. Traditionally, in this American uh, consumerist um, market, and I don't know who came up with this, it's not a bad idea, but today is Giving Tuesday. Did you mm-hmm. know this? Yes. Okay. I, I had seen that um, earlier today, and it makes sense. And I think I remember it from previous years, but since that is relevant, I do want to uh, mention a, well, I, I think we consider a worthwhile cause to contribute to, and that's the Sister Servants of Mary. Oh, yes. They, I'm sure, I haven't talked to them recently. I probably should. Uh, I'm sure they're, they've been hit pretty hard this year uh, in terms of, you know, obviously with people with COVID-19, it's not like they're going to stop giving care to people just because there is some chest cold out in, out in circulation. So I'm sure this well, has affected them. I would guess them. that they're not allowed to. I guess I would guess that they're not allowed to get anywhere near anyone that, you know, has been quote unquote diagnosed with it. So I'm sure there's all kinds of interesting things going on there. But um, I, I know that within their order, everyone has to have at least a CNA which mm-hmm. is a certified nurse assistant. Many of them have RNs. There are some actual MDs who are among the the, wow. uh, the the nuns there. So in terms of if they wanted to fight this, they've got the intellectual firepower and the, the brain trust to do it. But who knows? Uh, anyway, I did want to point out, and I'll, I'll put a link in the, in the show notes, but definitely want, uh, think about uh, contributing to them, uh, Sister Servants of Mary. They are headquartered in, at least the U.S. Um, branch is headquartered in, in uh, New Orleans, Louisiana. And I'll put the, the link and the, or the address in the, in the show notes. So definitely think about contributing to them, please. And for people who, don't, who might be new to the podcast and don't know the backstory on, on all this, Super Nerd had a daughter. Um, what's it been now? Two, three years ago? Almost two years. Almost two years ago. Um, Super Nerd had a daughter two years ago who was born with very, very, very severe birth defects. And she was basically terminal. That was, it was kind of known that she wasn't going to, she wasn't going to live 
too terribly long. Um, and she needed 24 hour care. And so <laughs> super nerd and, and super mommy, um, Mrs. Super nerd, um, eventually got to the point where they just had to, they had to find somebody to come in and, and help with the overnight shifts. And the, these sister servants of Mary were recommended. And sure enough, they were right there, not too terribly far from where super nerd, um, has, has his headquarters. And, um, they came in and were absolutely heroic, absolutely heroic. And, you know, you say, oh, there's nothing, there's nothing good and there's nothing worthwhile going on in the Nova Sordo church. Well, we know, we know that isn't the case because the sister servants of Mary are Nova Sordo and they are, they were absolute godsends to super nerd and his family. So. Yeah. I can't, can't stress that enough. I mean, we were, not just emotionally, but physically, just about ready to collapse and 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 have a breakdown because twenty four seven care really was that. I mean, it's not like you could take a three hour nap; you had to be up uh, almost constantly watching uh, watching her. And it was it was almost two years ago um, that she passed away. It was two and a half years ago she was born. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, it, it was it was definitely a night and day difference once we had the overnight help because you know in my case I could sleep finally and get you know a, a decent night's sleep and and that you know when when you're when you're working in what's called the knowledge economy the the functioning of your brain is when when that's how you make your living being able to get sleep is kind of important yeah and uh for a couple of months there i, I wasn't and yeah i was very thankful that um my bosses at that job were were quite um um forbearing and 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 uh gave me a lot of leeway uh to get things done but uh, it would definitely help when I was able to get some sleep. So, yep. yeah, definitely a, a highly worthwhile cause and something that's, you know, as as people get older, as the baby boomers, whether it's through COVID or something else, need um, terminal care, hospice care. Uh, this this the, the, this convent is going to be, um, there's going to be a waiting line for their services. Yep. So definitely somebody and who could use some help. What was I going to ask you? Um, oh, and it, it was all... It was all free, or did they bill Medicare, or it was all free, wasn't it? Yeah, they they did not give us a bill. Um, I don't know how much money we were able to raise to donate to them. I mean, that mm-hmm. wasn't that wasn't the point of why they do it. Um, this this is their vocation. They they literally um, be, before going out for overnight care, which is that that's their specific charism is overnight care for people who need it uh, to give the the primary caregivers a rest, literally. Uh, they, they'll, before they go out for their overnight care, they'll spend a half an hour, um, in prayer before the blessed sacrament. And they, the prayer there was that to encounter Christ in the person they're going to be taken care of through the night for the love of Jesus. So, and they, they kind of bookended that when they, when their shift was over, they would then return and, and their completion prayer for the end of the shift was, was to Jesus as well. And so in terms of you know, are, are they, do, does somebody get into an order like that to do a job like that to make money? No, but it, it's, you know, the, you could definitely make the argument that the level of care is going to be so much higher than you could get no matter how much you paid. And I've made this argument to some non-Catholic uh, colleagues, uh, atheist colleagues, that if you want to improve education and, and um, medical care in, in this country, turn it all over to the church. Well, the church the way it used to be anyway. Because the people who get into those fields aren't doing it for the money. They're doing it because, and this is the, the, the word I'm going to use, for, use to talk to an unbeliever, these people believe this is how they, they you know, will earn the next salvation in the next life. Now, obviously, among Catholics, we understand that to be the truth. To non-believers, they're like, hmm, sounds like a good deal financially. Where do I sign uh-huh. up? 
Absolutely. I have a video presentation um, that I made in 2011, and it's it's not terribly long. I think it's less than a half an hour long, and it's in two parts because I was a rank amateur on YouTube, and I think I could only upload 15 minutes at a time or something, so it was in two parts. And what it is about is what is the path forward in terms of healthcare in this country? And, you know, talking about things like the elimination of insurance, insurance has destroyed everything. It has completely destroyed the healthcare industry, the health health healthcare service um, provision. It's just, it's destroyed it. So insurance is going to have to be outlawed. And then, well, ha- what are you going to do? You're going to go right back to the model that we were at before. Why do you think every hospital in every town is called St. So-and-so's? Because it was they it was either of the Catholic Church or, you know, it, it'll say. It'll be like St. Luke's Presbyterian or St. Mark's Baptist Hospital, whatever. I mean, it's it says right there in the names of these hospitals, basically, who put them up and who founded them. That's one of the ways that you're going to fix the entire healthcare thing without going to socialized medicine or anything like that, because that's that's a disaster too. That doesn't work. Um, yeah, that's the path forward and get it to the point where people who have money can can pay. And if you don't have insurance and there's competition and, you know, people can have so, to some extent, they have the the ability to shop around. I mean, there's that clinic already. There was a pri- there is or was or I think there still is a private, a completely private surgery center in Oklahoma, and people are just beating their doors down because I mean, they just say, "What do you need? Well, we'll give you what you need, here, and here's the prices for it. You pay cash, and it's like it's it runs. I think their prices run ten percent." of what most people's insurance companies are billed. And then, you know, they've got co-pays and all that. No, completely transparent pricing. If you need a knee replacement, here's how much it costs. If you need, if you need single bypass, here's what it costs. Da, 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 da. And pay us cash and that's it. It's a done deal. And that where that's what everything's going to have to go back to with the church and, and volunteerism and charity and tithing being a massive, if not the primary dynamic behind all of it. Well, it's just, you know, another at, at a very you know natural level, but yet another proof set that when you have the faith and you live your faith, things work. Mm-hmm. That's right. What the reason why the world is going to heck in a handbasket around us is because of the mass apostasy. The reason that everybody's falling for the Corona scam, the reason why nobody can figure out that Bergoglio isn't the Pope, um, the reason why Trump is being, the Trump election is being overthrown and usurped and nobody's doing anything about it. Nobody, and nobody can see what's obviously right in front of them. It's because of the mass apostasy. It's because people are in a state of unrepentant mortal sin especially um, especially Novus Ordo Catholics who contracept at a rate in the high 90% um, for people who are of breeding age um, and, and are completely unrepentant about it, don't go to confession. I mean, 
you know, contraception is, is one of the big ones in terms of percentage, but we've already talked about the other one. That is just not going to mass, which again is under pain of mortal sin. Um, in, in normal circumstances. Now, obviously, you know, our Lord will judge everything that's going on now with bishops, you know, abrogating the third commandment and everything like that. And that all factors obviously into our Lord's calculus of, of judging souls um, who, who live and die in, in this time. Um, but I mean, before all this, nobody had any excuse. Nobody has any excuse at all. I mean, good grief. It's it's one of the commandments. It's one of the Decalogue. There, there's no excuse for not knowing this. And so you, when, when people are in a state of unrepentant mortal sin, they can't think. Their intellects are darkened. They can't reason properly. Um, it doesn't mean that they become, that they lose IQ points or they become they become functionally retarded, but in a certain sense, they do, they are retarded in a certain sense. I mean, again, that's why nobody can just look and see what's clearly going on in front of them. Um, this is all completely to be expected. And as we've talked about many, many times, the, the thought of what it is going to take to jar people so intransigent in, in this satanic culture there's a there's a story going around today that a lot of a lot of you have probably seen this movie. It was a really um, it's a cute little pro life uh, movie from about 15 years ago called Juno. Um, really snappy, witty dialogue and and a, a nice message about about a 16 year old girl who gets pregnant her first time having fornicating with her boyfriend um, and decides almost immediately that she's not going to have an abortion. She's going to have the baby. And the whole, you know, the movie is, is all about that. And the, the girl, um, the, the little actress, a cute little Canadian gal, um, announced today that she's, she's now officially decided that she's, that she's a male. And, uh, it's just so sad that all of this, this COVID stuff has happened. These people these California people, these Hollywood people, they aren't making any movies. Um, out in California, people are under lockdown and, and all of this, all of this is going on. These people aren't even phased. Heck, they're, they're mashing the throttle in all of this. There's, there's no repentance whatsoever. The thought of what's going to have to happen, um, to get people on their knees, you know, rending their garments, looking up to heaven and begging God's mercy. Uh, boy, I, it's just massive bloodshed. Massive bloodshed. Um, I'm thinking maybe that they're going to release smallpox. Um, there's been some talk about that. They've war gamed, um, a smallpox release in the, in exactly the same way that they war gamed, um, the Corona scam and at event 201, there was another event that they did. It was called operation dark winter. It's, it's what Biden keeps saying. It's going to be a very dark winter. Everybody keeps using this phrase. This was the name of, of the analog to event 201 that they did. I think in the early two thousands where they war gamed, um, the intentional release of smallpox. 
Well, to be I, fair, they're wargaming stuff all the time, and, and you'll see stuff uh, on, on the conspiracy channels frequently about uh, Operation Jade Helm, which is done every few years. And uh, they, they'll talk about the, the black helicopters flying over the big cities in, in, in Texas or, or in, in California. And Jade Helm is a special operations training exercise for urban warfare. Uh-huh. And they have to train in urban environments before they go do the real thing. Yeah, we'll, so, I mean, we'll, that not, we'll I mean, probably see that and their skills will be tested within the next few months, I suppose. So I seem to recall something, and I, I don't know if this was an Alex Jones thing or, or something else years ago, that the psychological study had been done that at least at the time, uh, the U.S. military could not be deployed inside the United States to uh, affect martial law because you know, U.S. military is American citizens too, and they weren't so callous as to turn their back on their own citizens. So that if it was going to happen anytime soon, it would take... Oh, I don't know, UN troops. And that's actually been called for in case, you know, say Trump gets reelected in the courts or if we have mass pandemonium and um, Team Biden can't officially, I'm air quoting this, can't keep control. I mean, they, they want it to get out of control. They'll oh, yeah. have to call in the blue helmets with the blue with helmets, red uniforms. Yep. The red Chinese yep. and blue helmets. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. And, you know, that's a really good point. And I, I think the whole. Uh, mercenary dynamic. I mean, I think that's just a foregone conclusion at this point. What I'm now becoming more converted about is watching um, the glee. You you watch some of these videos. You know, everybody's got their everybody's got their phone. These videos of these arrests, um, not just in the United States, but also in Australia, in the UK, of just these these police seem to be really enjoying, it seems to me that they're really enjoying this and they're really enjoying, um, you know, tackling the pregnant woman with four kids in tow because she's sitting on a park bench watching her children play and she doesn't have a mask on and things like that. I mean, there's a lot of this going on. There was a video going around this, this last week of a man in the UK. Apparently he had, he had lost his, lost his business, of course, um, and they're having some sort of a, a march or a manifestation in in London, and this guy is walking down the street, and the cops start hassling him, and he basically has a nervous breakdown right, right then and there. It's real. He's not faking it. I, he has basically a psychotic break, and he is just wailing why are you doing this to me? I haven't done anything wrong. Why are you doing this to me? And it's, it is the, the cri de coeur of, of a man who is completely broken and the cops seem to be just luxuriating in it. So the thought there's, there's going to be some of that that's real, but also some of it is staged as well. And there was a case out of Australia where somebody was being, I don't know if it was the pregnant woman um, but but some some high profile arrest and it, it slipped out later that this was actually arranged, and so oh, really? in in our media environment, mm-hmm. seeing the difference between reality is, is it real or is it Memorax? Is it real or is it Hollywood? You yeah. know, I'll, I'll put this link in the show notes. Are you familiar with what the Smith Munt Act is? I've heard of it. Refresh me. Smith Munt is but no, I I can't in, spit it out. In short terms, it is uh, the act which prohibits the United States government from conducting psychological operations or propaganda on the U.S. Except that <laughs> that was repealed ten years ago. Man, 
I was going to say. <laughs> That's been repealed. So it's now perfectly legal for the U.S. government to propagandize its own citizens. Yep. And that's that brings up an interesting point that um, and forms of psychological torture specifically, what this whole deal, and they've planned this, of cycling this, um, of lockdown and then slight release, and then lockdown again, and then slight release. This is actually a, a well-documented, and everybody knows this, this is a classic form of psychological torture that has been used previously um, on prisoners of war. You know, the guys who were POWs over in Vietnam or under the Japanese or whatever it was, um, or the Germans they or the Russians, they would tell them, okay, you're you're getting out a week from today or something like that. And then, you know, let the person become a bullion and be, and be looking forward to this, even start giving them, you know, better rations, um, more liberty, more freedom, and then take it away from them. It's in, it's in exactly the same category as, um, fake executing someone. So telling someone I'm going to execute you at dawn tomorrow morning, the next morning comes, you get them up, you blindfold them, you take them out into a yard, you tie them to a post and tell them, okay, you're going to be shot by firing squad, and then walk away and leave them standing there. And then, you know, 8, 10, 12 hours later, go back and get them and put them back in their, in their cell. That is considered a form of, of torture. Um, this whole business of cycling in and out of lockdowns is exactly, exactly and pre conscious, premeditated form of psychological torture designed to just absolutely beat down and crush people. And depending upon where you are, how far along in the iteration and the cycle of this you are, You've already seen this happen. So there was the full lockdown in the spring. Um, business owners, restaurant owners completely freaked out, you know, devastated. And the, But then, okay, just, just be patient and, and it'll get better. So then they lift it in the summer. Restaurants kind of start opening back up. They even get to the point where they're letting people sit inside, da-da-da-da-da. Then what do they do? concurrent with the normal seasonal cold flu season, which is as regular and as reliable as the sun rising in the east and setting in the west, um, you're going to, in the northern hemisphere, the flu season is going to start back up again in late September and early October, and it's going to carry through April. This is just a fact. And of course, everybody knows this. All of them know this. And then, bam, we're going to put you back down under lockdown. And then, well, maybe we'll let you out and we'll let you have Christmas. Oh, but see, look, the cases went up again. And, of course, the cases are all fake. It's all complete lies. Oh, we're going to have to put you back in lockdown again. So they'll lock you back down again in the spring. And, then, oh, well, we'll let, you, we'll let you back out of it now that May's here. And look, and look the, the deaths are going down or the cases are going down. This is a premeditated form of psychological torture designed to absolutely break you. And break you into you, taking a vaccine you wouldn't have otherwise taken. Yeah, that, yes. And also, if you're if you're completely completely whipped, you're not going to fight. You'll you'll commit suicide, but you're not going to fight. I mean, you, you 
people would say, well, they're just driving people towards, um, towards um, armed rebellion and, and they're driving people towards North. No, 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 no. It's exactly the opposite. The more you just dispirit somebody, the more they're just going to withdraw, throw their hands up, go sit in their house and sit there and wait to die. They can't even, it's acedia, you see. We've talked about acedia a lot on the blog, and I think we've talked about acedia on, on the podcast several times. Acedia is when you don't care and you don't care that you don't care. And the way I got introduced to the, the term acedia, I had really never heard of it before, was I was told by a very wise priest, in fact, in the context of confession, in the confessional, he explained to me that that is the number one spirit of demonic oppression over the city of Rome is acedia. Seminarians go, priests go, bishops go, religious go, lay people go to Rome. There is a demonic cloud of acedia that just is perpetually over the city of Rome. And you go there and you move there and you just stop praying. You stop going to mass. You stop everything. You, you don't care and you don't care that you don't care. And when you get to that point, you've, you're losing your faith or have lost your faith. And you're completely willing to succumb to all kinds of six commandment things, whichever way you might be inclined, whether it be in the heterosexual direction or the sodomitical direction or towards kids or whatever it is. Oh, that when you don't care and you don't care that you don't care, well, why not? Why not fornicate? Why not sodomize? Why not indulge your lusts? It passes the time. It's something to alleviate the boredom. And so that's exactly what um, this cycle in and out of lockdowns is designed to do. Um, the, the mass are designed to incite narcissism and hatred of other people as human beings. And the, the cycle of lockdowns and reopenings is designed to incite massive acedia so that nobody will even have, have the ability to fight back. They'll be so interiorly, spiritually, morally whipped. So there it is. I know there's another topic, and I'm, I'm tempted to use the I don't care, but actually, no, I do care. I just, I'm on the wrong tab. <laughs> <laughs> I made this comment before we started recording. It's like, hold on, I need to wait 10 minutes because I need to get my notes ready. Yeah, because it, it always happens that if I'm trying to do some note taking during the show, uh, it, it happens. That's when I pause. Yeah. <laughs> No, I definitely care. And I almost made a joke and I realized, no, this is exactly the wrong kind of joke to make. So uh, how do the you two bullet it? points I has is I've got that rant about McInerney. I suppose we should cover that because well, McInerney. Let's, let's, let's get to something else before we burn down McInerney and okay. something that uh, was, was tweeted at, at uh, Roman McLean. And, and I saw this and, and I, I made a couple of replies to it and I'll get to this. The guy points, does there's three, three bullet points, USS Cole, which was bombed back in, um, goodness, what was that, 2000 in, in the port of Yemen, um, in, in Aden, Yemen, I think. $250 million of damage or $378 million today. That was a terrorist attack. USS Fitzgerald, which was dummies at the wheel, that was half a billion dollars of damage. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't even a, a combative incident. And then some dude with kerosene and a blowtorch, two and a half to $3 billion of damage to the USS Bonham Richard, which is a... Um, very large flat top. Uh, some people call it an aircraft carrier. Um, I don't mind that 
civilians call it that. It's it's a LHA, I believe. I should know this off the top of my head. LHA-5, if I'm not mistaken. It's a landing helo assault ship. Uh, it, when I was in the Navy, we called them gator freighters. We didn't we didn't really specify much beyond that. And, and what we're referring to there is the ships that specifically are built to carry and deploy the Marines, whether it's by helo assault or putting their, their boats out the back. That particular ship could have done both. Um, it's a very expensive piece of hardware and a very versatile... In fact, uh, if I was... If I was Emperor of the United States, I, that's exactly the kind of ship I would build the Navy around. It's a, it's a great dual-purpose ship in the sense of you can project uh, force anywhere in the world. You can put, um, you know, a thousand caged animals or Marines on, uh-huh. onto somebody else's beach in, in a heartbeat and, and let them do what they do. Or you can use – that's an ideal ship for humanitarian uh, operations. That thing can hold millions of gallons of fresh water. Um uh. It's got the helo, helo assault or the helo helicopter ability, so you can airlift in, um, you know, medevac teams. You've got the boat, cap- the the landing boat capability, capability, so you can bring in tons of heavy equipment to uh, or, or, or construction equipment to rebuild uh, something. So in the in the wake of, uh, for example, the hurricane wiping out Puerto Rico, you know, two or three of these ships loaded up with instead of Marines having uh, Peace Corps people or medical personnel or even just Marines doing logistics ashore. These are ideal boats for that kind of uh, situation. Is and it nuclear powered? No, no, no. It's it's okay. uh, in fact it, it's one of the few one of the few ships that was is still under new construction where they are powered by uh, conventional steam. So they have hmm. boilers and I think they're even low pressure boilers. But they're they're not terribly fast. I want to say 22, 25 knots at most if mm-hmm. they're trying to, but that's not their their point isn't speed. The point is to sit offshore and say we can put a thousand marines on your beach tomorrow if it makes us happy. So mm-hmm. you should probably do what we, what we, what we want you to do. Mm-hmm. They're they're expensive boats. They're they're a great. Um, like I said, if if I was in charge, it would be the cornerstone or a huge piece of of our ability to project power ashore from all over the world. And uh, someone. So are we buying that this thing was totaled by a dude with a blowtorch? Well, I, that's that's what the guy in the tweet said. Some guy with a kerosene and a blowtorch. Um, what would happen is there was a gigantic fire on board the ship. It was it was uh, tied up pier side. I want to say it was pier two in San Diego. I spent spent a fair amount of time at that pier when I was in in, in the navy. Um, they had a gigantic fire. It got out of control. It took days to get it under control and put it out. And by the time it was over, the estimate uh, was that it would take two and a half two and a half billion to three billion to repair it. At which point they said, "Scrap it." It's kind of like uh-huh. having a uh, a Cadillac or something. And and I make that comparison on purpose. And and you get into what seems like a fender bender, but it, it causes uh, engine problems. It's going to cause you know, lots of body damage. It bends the frame a little bit. Uh-huh. Is it still drivable? Technically, but it's nowhere near what it's supposed to be able to do. And if you when you look at how much it would cost to fix it, and then also take into account some of the structural problems as a result of that accident, will never really go away. You might as well scrap it and build a new one. Man. So I guess the question is, is is the story that they told that the fire was accidental? I guess that's the big question. Well, and that's that's what I re- replied to the to the person on Twitter because he was saying, you know, is this a terrorist attack? And, I, and my first thought was, who was the DCA on the ship at the time? DCA is the damage control assistant. And that's the person who is, the, the officer, I should say, who is responsible for 
uh, all of the damage control activities on the ship. And damage control on the ship includes firefighting and uh, anti-flood, which anti-flood, not so much a concern in this case, except that if you're pouring tons and tons of water in there to put out a fire, you do need to get that back overboard before it causes a stability issue. Mm-hmm. But um, the, the DCA usually is not the one who's truly competent to do this. Um, it's usually it's, it's a billet by some junior-ish officer. And, and the real person who's going to be in charge of this is the ship's fire marshal, who I was on a smaller boat, so it was a first-class petty officer who had this role. On, on, the, on a big gator freighter like that, I would imagine it's a senior chief, uh, if not a warrant officer. In fact, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the DCA was a warrant officer. So uh, my curiosity is who were those two characters? Who was the fire marshal? Who was the DCA? And are they, I mean, I'm cynical, but... Are they diversity hires? Uh-huh. What was uh-huh. the state of, of the ship's crew's, or the, the, the ship crew's ability to fight fires? And again, when I was in the Navy, every day when you had duty, you guarantee, and, and duty was you know, every third or fifth day, depending on the size of the ship. It's whoever had to stay on board and stand watches and do things like that. But like clockwork, between you know, about seven o'clock every, every night, there was a fire drill. And the whole point was just to make sure that everybody knew how to do, you know, basic respond to a fire. Now the scenarios changed, and um, you know the, the the most exciting one I remember was I, I was training to be um, the second to a fire marshal on the ship, and instead of a fire drill, we had a real fire. <laughs> so, wow! And and we were we, we responded right away, and 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 um, took care of it right away. Uh, no big deal there. But it, it's it's a perishable skill if it's not something you practice every single day, and on a ship that size, you might need to do multiples. So my guess is they just aren't, they, they weren't up to, up to snuff. They, they, they didn't have their skills where it should have been kind of like the, the case with the, um, USS Fitzgerald, the bridge team on that one. They, they weren't asleep at the wheel. They didn't know what they should have been doing at the wheel. Well, the, the, the two lesbians in charge were sleeping with each other and had a fight and wouldn't talk to each other. That was the problem there. Well, yes and no. I mean, if the officer of the deck and the, if I remember correctly, the officer of the deck and the uh, combat control officer, the, those are the two people you're talking about. They were, they're, they're both uh, women, still are, as, as far as I know. Uh, they, <laughs> they, they were fighting with each other, but still, that actually is kind of irrelevant. On a ship like that, there's 10 more people on the bridge. There's about that many more in combat. If those two people are, are yapping at each other, everyone else should have a situational awareness of what's going on and say, hey, um, put your fight aside and and, and uh, we need to take Steer care of something. The boat. <laughs> at, at the very least, I mean, if I, if I was the boatmate of the watch and, and my lookout mm-hmm. says, hey, we've got a ship coming in, I will go over to the conning officer, grab him by the lapels, and say, sir, you better take the deck right now or I will, and get us out of harm's way. Let them uh-huh. fight some of the time and explain to the captain why this is going on. But get us out of harm's way right now or I'll do it. But that yep. takes manliness, and I don't know if we yep. have that right now. That's that's a real systemic problem right now, and you can't fix that in three years of Trump being in office. You've, there, yeah. there are too many people that have to fire, too much um, social experiments going awry, over the last, not just Obama's years, but from what I understand, half of uh, Bush Jr.'s years, a lot of um, yeah. equal opportunity fuzziness and, and not exactly being on a strict war footing in the Navy. Yep. The other the other people ashore in, in Afghanistan and Iraq, sure, they got lots of they got lots of real world practice downrange. Navy, I, we haven't really done anything ship to ship since what. Um, world War Two ship II? to ship, yeah, World War Two. I mean, the closest we get is the Gulf of Sidra, 
in 88 or 84. And, and that was launching Tomcats to go blow up a couple Libyan MiGs. But that's not really, that, that's more naval air than, right. than naval surface. So in terms of surface mm-hmm. warfare, it's been a long time since we've done anything. I mean, we're we're getting almost to the point now where we're out of li- living memory because World War II, most World War II veterans now that are still alive are are nonogenarians. They're ninety years old or older. Well, not so, only that, but the way surface warfare was done in, in World War II, you have sure. to get get within range of your guns and fire five inch, eight inch, ten inch shells at, at the other ship until it, it's not there anymore. Mm-hmm. We don't do that anymore. We get within missile range, get a missile lock, and send it to the bottom. Mm-hmm. Now, yes, they do have guns, but five-inch guns against modern warships isn't going to do a whole lot of damage unless it's a very lucky hit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of a mess. And one one worries tremendously about what the true state of the Chinese Navy is. Um, you know, <laughs> there's such a bunch of, I don't know that there's such a bunch of liars. There's, I don't think there's any way that we can know for sure. I think they it might be far stronger than we think they are. And we are far weaker than we think we are. And that you're getting pretty darn close to parity um, between the two of us. It wouldn't surprise me if we're, if we're, let me put it this way. If we are far, far, far closer to parity than anyone reasonably suspects. It's far more likely that we are falling to parity than they are rising to it. Mm, it takes okay. a few generations uh, to rise in nautical skill. I mean, the fact that the United States was so good right off the bat is because we inherited our naval tradition and our, and our pedigree from the British. And we never let it go until now. Well, and let me hasten to remind you, though, the Chinese have had a pipeline and have a pipeline through Hunter Biden and Joe Biden and through the Clintons that there has been a pipeline of technological capability and know-how that's been going to the Chinese. So, yeah, I... I don't know. There's a reason why the Chinese are you know, messing with the likes of Hunter Biden. There's, there's, there's a reason why they're throwing all this, these amounts of money at these people, but they're, they're not doing this for no reason. They're getting something back out of it. And I think a lot of it is technology, both um, military technology and also just, you know, um, consumer technology in terms of, you know, economic war. Um, They're, they're not east asians are not good independent thinkers they're not good at inventing stuff uh, let me put it this way east asians today are not good at inventing stuff they have a very gregarious culture they're followers they're conformists um and so they're not good at, at creative thinking and coming up with stuff on their own this is what is crippled the Japanese economy is that they've all, all economists in Japan have gone to exactly, have gone to the University of Tokyo, have had exactly the same department of economics, exactly the same professors with exactly the same, you know, Keynesian, whatever there's, and there's such rigid conformity among East Asian cultures that they can't, there's just no capacity to think outside the box. I don't so think term- I don't think Japan's problems should be reflected on all of Asia. I mean, the the easiest counter to that is then why is Korea succeeding? 
I mean, they they are they are at the point now that if if Japan needed needed defense, the Koreans could come to their defense. There's there's no point for the U.S. to be to have troops in, in Korea anymore. In fact, at this point, we could probably call on Korea to help us if we hadn't had a problem. Right. I think because that's the most Americanized culture. Don't you think South Korea is the most Americanized culture over there? Never been there, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't think so. I mean, they, just because they play baseball doesn't make them American. But, oh, true. But talking about the Chinese and original thinking, I would imagine out of 1.3 billion people, you could find a few yeah. hundred or a few thousand, if not a few tens of thousands who are pretty creative. And, and mm-hmm. I would imagine, I would imagine those people, they're up to a certain, like the U.S. military used to be, it's a meritocracy up to a certain level. Uh, Mm -hmm. just on your merit alone and all of you who have active memory of this or, or serve, my understanding was you could get up through Oh five as an officer, just on merit alone, getting to Oh six took, took political connections, but it wasn't so hard. Flag officers is all about politics unless you literally save the world, um, or your Admiral Rickover. Uh, it's, it, that's, it's rare to, to get, uh, to the, to the Colonel or, captain in the navy or higher unless you've got political connections mm-hmm. you, you've got to have a stellar combat record and everybody has to know it um to get to sidestep the politics and i would imagine in, in china it's probably the same if you have exceptional talent uh people are looking for i mean they tend to think in you know thousand year increments they I mean they, yeah. they, talk, they talk about five-year plans but you know i think even they know that that's that's a joke um, they have long memories as well. I think I mentioned in the last podcast, they, they're still upset about, you know, the boxer rebellion and oh, the, yeah. the British going in and forcing their way because the Chinese didn't want their opium. Um, they're, they're, I, I wouldn't say that they lack creativity. Um, it's, it's pretty creative to know what the steal and copy. They're not taking, they're not taking everything they're, I don't see them cloning the spice girls. They're going after the good stuff. <laughs> Man, <laughs> hating on the Spice Girls. <laughs> maybe that's the. Maybe we'll just throw everyone for a loop, and and that'll be the title of the podcast. And this podcast has absolutely nothing to do with that, but it's just so deliciously random. I kind of like it. Um, I'm I'm going to request an executive veto on that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so uh, long story short, what happened to the Bonham Richard? Until I hear otherwise, um, I'm just going to assume it was lack of competence to put out a fire and, wow. and lack of competence in doing things safely. Now, granted, a, a ship is a, a place where you've got millions of gallons of fuel and hundreds of thousands of pounds of explosives. So it, it's it, safety is a big deal. But if standards have slipped as much as I've heard they have, it's mm. not out of the realm of possibility to think that they could have slipped to the point that on you know somebody doing welding on that ship set off in a, a set off an inferno because they were being stupid and, and unsafe. Yeah. It's not like it's never happened before. Yeah. Alas. Sigh. And on top of all that, we still have COVID-19 going on, which has that, that's been a bonanza for hypochondriacs, hasn't it? It really has. Um, they're in this whole quote unquote second wave or, fall wave or whatever, whatever you want to call it. Um, what I'm hearing is that people are getting more comfortable with it. And the hypochondriacs, I think have kind of figured out that it's, it's not going to kill them. And so the hypochondriacs, it's now, it's now the new thing, you know, you have to be able to go on Facebook or, or whatever. And, 
and get the whole pity party thing going and tell everybody that, that you, that you had the COVIDs. Um, and so the people are rolling into emergency rooms and then what the hospitals are doing is they're looking to just, they're looking to generate, um, and hopefully we're going to be able to do a podcast with both Dr. Beep and nurse Claire together. And what they're both seeing is that their administration, the government, whoever you want to call it, they want to engineer um, the appearance that hospitals are overrun and that there's there's a tremendous crisis. And the way they're doing that is that, you know, anybody who rolls in is admitted for five days and given a five-day inpatient course of what's the drug called remdesivir, which should only take like one day. And so they're they're taking up five um, bed bed unit bed days bed days um, instead of just one, and then they're doing the the BS contact tracing and they're sending half the staff home. So you're inflating your bed days by a factor of five and you're um, intentionally, maliciously furloughing half of your staff under the guise of contact tracing. And then, then, you know, the, the tranny in Pennsylvania and whoever else, whatever governor um, can, can go on TV and say, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, we have a crisis. Well, it's, completely, totally engineered. And by the way, the people that are getting the remdesivir on five-day inpatient are completely fine, most of them, and they're sitting there twiddling their thumbs. Some of them might have been a little bit sick, but a lot of it, again, is is this is the new hot hypochondriac thing. You know, there's all the trendy things that, you, that you've got to have. You've got to have this, you got to have that. Now it's obviously, it's well, oh my gosh, can't wait to get home and tweet and tell everybody that, um, I've got, that I've got the COVIDs. So in this narcissistic culture, yeah, people really are that awful and really are that stupid and really are that messed up and desperate for attention that, yeah, they will do stuff like that. It's just, it's just classic hypochondrianism, which is a, which is a subset of narcissism, just playing itself out within, within this context. So just something to be on the lookout for. And if you know someone who's a hypochondriac, um, and they, and they start in with this garbage, don't, don't feed it, don't feed it. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, it must be so awful. Oh, I almost died. Oh, grief. Sit down. I just made that. That's something I've never, ever, ever understood is people who want to be sick. It's just that level of crazy is just incomprehensible to me. So, and all you have to do is fake a sniffle or something like that. Go to an ER and have them do the PCR test. And there's almost a 97% chance of you coming up positive on that, even if you don't have it. Yep. And it's also pos- possible that the, that the emergency room personnel, because they know there's a payout involved, or at least the, the hospital administrators, if you demonstrate or su- or suggest uh, the, the symptoms enough, whether you have it or not, they'll write it down. And depending on where you are, if uh, this is something that hypochondriacs should be charitably warned about, if you go in there and you get and you're in the wrong place, 
Um, they murdered people by ventilator in New York City who presented in the spring with nothing more than the symptoms of anxiety. Anxiety. If you walked in and said, I don't feel good, I think I have the COVIDs, they would just immediately take you away and separate you from your entire family. There's not going to be anyone there to advocate for you. And they will put you in an induced coma. They will intubate you. They will put you on a ventilator and you will almost certainly die. There's like a 90% chance that you will die. They'll blow your lungs out. So hypochondriacs should be warned. Think long and hard about this because if you get crossways with uh, with true psychopaths who just look at you as, um, I don't know, I've heard, we know the minimum payout figure for um, killing somebody by a ventilator was $39,000. I think it's since been revealed that the actual full payout for every one of these people that they killed was closer to a quarter million. Um Boy, you're, you're like, I'm reminded of the Bugs Bunny cartoon where Yosemite Sam looks at Bugs Bunny and Bugs Bunny like Mirage turns into a roasted turkey and then Mirage turns back into, into Bugs Bunny. Um, that that's the way they're looking at you. They, they'll look at you and there'll be a Mirage fade and you'll turn into um, a, a bag of a quarter of million dollars and then it'll Mirage fade back into you as a human being. These people, a lot of these people are psychopaths and they just really wouldn't hesitate to, to kill. Um, and especially if it's, it, this is very sad, but it has to be said if the person got, walks in and presents and they're, you know, clearly not rocking a 120 IQ, um, let's say they're over the age of 55 and let's say that they're, if not obese, then working on obese. Do you think that a psychopathic doctor is going to look at you as someone whose life needs to be saved? No, he's probably going to hold you in, in abject contempt um, and probably be desirous of eliminating you and culling you from the herd because they just look down on, on people who are of insufficient intelligence and un insufficient sophistication and insufficient physical fitness, et cetera. It's a any excuse they can find to kill you and just collect. And because remember, the, the, the driving agenda of Bill Gates and all these people is population reduction. It's, this is an intrinsically eugenic um, situation and moment. This is all driving towards some, some notion that these monsters, these psychopaths have of a purification of the human race in and of itself. Not just, not just a reduction in absolute numbers, um, a 90% reduction in absolute numbers of the population, but in the process of doing that, a quote unquote purification and elevation of the gene pool of the gene pool in say. So, um, kind of like a great reset. Uh, yeah. Kind of like a great reset of the entire human race. Um, so if you're, if you're not the prettiest person in the world, um, and you're not the smartest person in the world, you better think long and hard about presenting, um, at, in an emergency room, 
trying to draw attention to yourself and get some badge of honor, being able to say, well, I had the COVID and I was in the hospital. That's a, you're playing Russian roulette, basically. Which now contrast that to what we were talking about earlier with the the topic of if you want healthcare to work best, then you put it in charge of people who see it as their vocation, a religious vocation. Yep. And those people, um, you know, if we could magically transport the hospital staff of a of a Catholic um, order, um, hospital order from 200, 250 years ago and drop them down and, you know, give them the give them the skill set of all the technology today. What they would do is that when somebody who's clearly seeking attention or um, is a hypochondriac or whatever, or is just suffering from anxiety, they will send the person home and, but also make sure that they get some sort of help. There will be, you know, the, the recommendation, well, here's father. Would you like to talk to father? Do you need somebody to talk to? Cause a lot of times people just do need somebody to talk to. Um, and these people would be given actually the appropriate kind of health that they need. And the tough love demands that you don't take someone who's a hypochondriac or who's merely suffering from anxiety and feed their delusion that they're sick. That's, that's, completely uncharitable. And it's also uncharitable because you're taking away resources from people who are actually sick. So yeah, so much would be solved. So much would be solved. And if if we live through this and to see the triumph of the Immaculate Heart, I would absolutely love to see these concepts put into practice. It would be, it would be wonderful. Amen. And we do have a couple more uh, bullet points here, but we targeted an hour 15 tonight, so yeah. we're at an hour eight. These bullet points will keep. Um, yes. General McInerney is not going anywhere yet, so I think we can get back to him later. And uh, I would also say that uh, we're overdue for an, an Ask Ann episode. Mm, mm, so if point. you have questions for Ann or me, um, I'll answer one of them right now. Hold off updating your Mac to Big Sewer. I mean, Big Sewer. Um, Big Sur. How do you pronounce that? The, the new Mac OS. Hold off on that one for now because there, there are known issues with the update. Wait a while. They'll fix that, and then they'll be good later. Uh, so if you have questions for Ann, email that to the to the podcast, and we'll get to that soon-ish. Probably not this week. Probably need to let, let this sit for a couple of weeks before we uh, address that. Yeah, and hopefully we can do that TriCast with um, Dr. Beep and Nurse Claire. We'll tar- seriously try to target that within the next seven days or so. We should give him a different name. How about Dr. Bill? Well, he's kind of locked in stone. I gave him, I, I like weeks before I said, be thinking of, you know, your superhero gnome de guerre, whatever you want it to be. And he was just like, bah, I don't care. And then we recorded and he, as soon as we were, almost as soon as we were done, he sent me a, he sent me a message. He said, is there any way you could beat my name out? I'm, I'm kind of... I'm kind of hesitating about this. And I said, of course we can, no problem. So I think Dr. Beep is now kind of iconic. So Dr. Beep, if you've got a better idea for your name, you better come with it fast. <laughs> That's right. Be good. <laughs> of course, if you're hearing on this podcast, chances are you might've already recorded with Anne. So it's probably too late. Um, no, 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 no. We'll oh, the, oh! I see what you're saying. Yeah, by the time you get this processed and play, it's conceivably possible. It is conceivably yeah, possible. Yeah, it's the first today. It'll be out on the second or third, depending upon how quickly I get things done tomorrow. I do have 
plenty to do tomorrow. So we'll, we'll see. Um, but yeah, well, <laughs> Dr. People work, like you said, that's, that's kind of, it's the, it's the inadvertent names that stick the best. And, and yes. honestly, and I was just watching this on, on one of the other podcasts. Um, Jocko Willink does a podcast. He's a former Navy SEAL officer, enlisted and officer. Not at the same time, obviously, but he was talking about how, or he and his guests were talking about how guys in the SEAL teams get their nicknames. And, and, um, just it's random things like on their first parachute jump, they landed in a bush. So the guy was called Bush for the rest of his time, his career in, in the SEALs. Oh, <laughs> or one, one guy in, in Buds. He, he was, he was constantly looking left and right, cut, you know, the whole head on a swivel thing. But somebody yeah. said, dude looks like an owl. So they called him owl at his first team, but somehow that degraded to Al. And it got to the point where when he was in Jocko's, um, platoon, he didn't know that the guy's name wasn't actually Al. So, I mean, it, it had gone from owl to owl to 50 cal owl because he was the 50 gal gunner. And, and just the, the whole idea of, of how your nicknames, you know what? It, it's Dr. Beep. Forget it. You know, Dr. Beep, too late. You, you, too if you late. want a better nickname, you, you should have thought, thought of that That's earlier. That's right. He had plenty of warnings. <laughs> hey, I didn't ask for Super Nerd and made that up. So Yep, sure did. Uh, Sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. I mean, that's it definitely could have been worse. Anyway, uh, let's wrap up the podcast. The email address for the pod for the uh, let me try that again. The email address for the podcast where you can send feedback, comments, suggestions, and good news items for wrapping up the podcast, which I didn't have tonight. <laughs> Darn it! Um, the email address is podcast at barnhart.biz. Or if you have top secret information you want to send along, like where in the world Gina Haspel is right now, just mm. send a quick note to top secret at supernerdmedia.com, and I'll fire back a message about uh, how we can set up a, a secret channel. Anne expresses her profound gratitude to all of her benefactors. And at least one mass every single day is said, plus one traditional Catholic Latin requiem mass for everybody who died in the previous week, which this week includes Diego Maradona and uh, Darth Vader. Um, and I mean, what I mean by that is uh, David Prowse, the guy, the English yeah. seven foot two guy who actually was in the suit in the first three movies. Uh, they both died this last week and a sometime in, in this week. A traditional Latin requiem mass is said for everybody who died in the last week. I say this every podcast, and I uh, try to come up with a different wording each time. Please pray for these priests. If it's mm-hmm. not people trying to COVID them out by calling the bishop and saying, uh, hey, I was in proximity to Father so-and-so, and I've got COVID, so now he has to go into lockdown. Or unsubstantiated but considered uh, credible allegations of something inappropriate, that's happened, mm. and it's happening more and more to traditional Catholic priests. Um, priests are under attack. And as we as we get toward the, the end game here in the world, uh, it's going to be ramping up more and more. So get confessed, stay confessed, go to the sacraments, and appreciate the priests. Pray for them. That's more than anything else. Pray for them and ask them if there's anything else they can do for you. I mean, the worst they're going to tell you is, no, just pray for me. And yeah. um, be sincere when you ask. I mean, don't don't just say it as a platitude, but you have nothing else you know to offer. Um, but definitely, they're not going to say no to prayers. They will appreciate that, and we need them. We need them a lot more than they need us. So right. definitely pray for them. The Barnhart Podcast is a production of Super Nerd Media. If you found something of value in this or previous episodes and would like to return some value, please visit supernerdmedia.com to learn more. And I would like to... Recognize a few donors since the last time we recorded, which was just over two weeks ago. So via the Postal Service, Stephen, and via the interwebs, uh, now that PayPal is back up and going, uh, David, Marilyn, Laurel, Robert, John, and Michael via Amazon. And so, so far, nobody via Bitcoin. And I'd, 
I, I keep saying it's no big deal if you don't want to do that, but if you do want to do that, then go to supernerdmedia.com, supernerdmedia.com, and there's a Bitcoin address there. And if you have any questions, just email me. And the only reason I bring, keep bringing this up is because there are a couple of cases a year where it would be useful, but it's not that useful. So don't worry about it that much. Um, and I'll let you wrap up with Matthew 1720. Matthew 1720 intention, prayer and fasting twice a week, prayer daily and fasting twice a week if you can, for the fourfold intention that Bergoglio be publicly recognized and removed as anti-Pope and that the whole thing be nullified, that Pope Benedict Ratzinger be publicly recognized as having been the one and only living Pope since April of 2005, that Bergoglio repent, revert to Catholicism, die in a state of grace in the fullness of time and someday achieve the beatific vision and that Pope Benedict repent of whatever he might need to repent of, um, die in a state of grace in the fullness of time and likewise someday achieve the beatific vision. Nothing less will do. Go big or go home. Our lady undoer of knots pray for us. Amen. And unlike um, Gina Haspel, we did get proof of life of Pope Benedict this last week. Yes. Hey, you actually look pretty good in the, the, the coming over and uh, bringing all of the the new cardinals before him, and they all they all genuflected and kissed the ring. And yep, Wait, yep. What ring? Only the only the Pope has a Fisher ring. I don't know. There's debate about his ring, about what it is. So I don't know. But there's there was much much genuflecting and much ring ki- kissing and um, boy how it is that anybody can look at that and not say I think there might be something wrong here um, I don't know I don't know but uh, pray for Pope Benedict he he looked better he had a skin infection and it looked like that was cleared up and the the everything I've heard is that he's still completely lucid he's just a old ninety three year old man and you know. Um, that's that's how it goes. So, but he's hung in there, and um, he will continue to hang in there as long as the divine providence wants him to hang in here. And we have to still keep praying that this situation gets resolved. If we've been listening to the despair merchants since day one, oh, there's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do. It was seven and a half years ago. We're working on almost eight years ago now that this has been going on. There's been plenty of time for people to act and God in his mercy and his patience just keeps giving everybody more time and he can continue to give as much time as, as he wants. So keep praying. This thing can still resolve. It will resolve, but it can still resolve while Pope Benedict is still alive, which would be absolutely best case scenario, but we have to keep praying and not lose hope. And as long as 2020 has been, he's made it through. And that's more than we can say for a lot of people. Um, Man, 2020 has been the longest decade of my life so far. (laughs) Well said. I say that, but 2021 is probably going to be worse. Yeah. Anyway, until next time, I am Super Nerd. And I'm Anne. Thanks, guys. God bless. Bye.